Well, I was I was judging an internal hackathon earlier today, and I wanted to solicit some advice. Now, last week, I got a lot of great advice about shoes. I just wanted to have one follow-up, which is some one of our listeners tweeted at me the actual Doc Martin shoes I used to wear. I think they're called the Hickmeyers or something. Uh, so we'll put, we'll put a link to that, but they're great shoes. I might, I, I wrote a to-do list for myself that after my birthday, if no one has bought me these shoes, I need to buy them for myself. Myself. Those being the, the Doc Martens? Yeah, the Doc Martin shoes. They're good shoes. So they're like the official, um, uh, sponsor now, uh, preferred shoe of this podcast, right? So it's, it's, it's right. Of, the official yeah, shoe of software defined talk. Is uh, the Doc Martens good? All right, well, good. Glad we had that settled. Mm-hmm. Now, now I got to get some Doc Martens. Yeah, no. Yeah. So here was my question. So I was, I was, I was judging this internal hackathon, nominally a, a DevOps hackathon. Lots of great products this company was working on, and there were there were like uh, like ten, fifteen other judges of of people people you would recognize from from DevOps thought lording and also practitionering. Now. Now that's that's not really the point. The point is like I pretty much said nothing during the whole phone call and just did my judging through the in the tool, right? Like there's a little tool you use to judge based on some criteria. And I feel like in a situation like this, I'm supposed to talk and not like be meek. But I really don't want to. So so what do I do? Do I just do I just keep uh isn't this called being a wallflower? Well do I just I wallflower it or, or what? No, first I don't even understand what is a DevOps hackathon. Isn't that like apples and orange? Like like DevOps is a, a process, a, a way of yeah, did, doing did, things. Like I mean, like that. I would. That, that's how I would re- immediately just derail this whole thing, guys. <laughs> we're having a DevOps hackathon. We don't even know what we're doing, right? Like, yes. and I would launch into like a thirty-minute tirade of like. It's got to be culture over people, and you know we can't. No, 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 no. You, you can show continuous improvement over forty-eight hours. Yeah. So, I, I, I okay, I okay. Be, I don't even. I, then we have Matt Ray come in and do his thing, and then start talking. I guess. To I guess. Chef. I guess. I, I guess. Hack, hack, the whole thing. Hackathon was the bad word. It was more like a contest of some existing applications, and I think they had entered this company's application. It's all an internal event, so it's sort of like. I, hackathon was the wrong word. It was like a competition for existing applications no, no, and how no. they've been operating. I think the word we object to is DevOps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is a whole other subject. So first of all, let me just, 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 you know, so that our, our working session here can be productive. Uh, let me, let me summarize Brandon's comment, which is you should pull a Trump and just totally change the conversation and say they're morons. Like, so can we all agree on that's a tactic? I, I could it. deploy it. Okay. I bet. Uh, so, so then, yes, you know, this has actually came up in a couple of uh, speaking of business papers of business meetings I've had recently. In fact, just yesterday where we went to go talk with someone about how Pivotal helps with DevOps. And uh, I, as, as so often happens, I fell into the trap of waiting about 90 minutes until I actually asked what they mean by DevOps. Uh, mm. Now, they tell you uh, in some sales books, I don't know whether it's a uh, whether it's a challenger or an advisor or some sort of colored ocean situation, whatever kind of sales thing you're supposed to be doing, or just or just using people's name to make them like you. Uh, but I think they tell you that you're supposed to talk less than the person you're trying to sell to, which uh, I need to write a book on my sales uh, methods because it's very contradictory to that principle. <laughs> how, how, how are your numbers looking, Kote? <laughs> well, as I like to tell people after these sales meetings, you don't have to thank me. I get paid either way. So, 
Uh, uh, <laughs> so, so are you saying that when you go, you just, you like to talk a lot or, cause I think the key, the, the missing thing happening. there was like, just open, ask open-ended questions is yes. really what I think is what they're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. But so, so the, the, the whole point though, was that we had, we had a, a, a little bit of a, a, a misalignment and then, and then, you know, we realigned stuff around what DevOps was. And I think, and I, I've, I've been, you know, over the past, uh, several months trying to like write down another little booklet that I have alluded to here. And, and I have found that, that DevOps has basically come to mean all that good stuff that we talk about, right? Like, like there are, there are some specific things here and there, but the question becomes, so who doesn't want all those things? It's sort of like, mm. I guess, remember, remember, uh, I think, I think this person is going to be at some cabinet level position, but didn't Carl's Jr. at some point have some like admittedly unhealthy burger that was just like the really bad burger to eat? And so I guess yeah. there are people who yeah. analogously are like, I know this is totally unhealthy and shaving minutes off of my total life uptime as far as my life, but I'm going to eat it anyway. So I guess there are people who would want to do the not good process, but yeah, I mean, you look at like what's, what's in core DevOps, right? Like, uh, there's a few things that are weird, like, like, uh, checking into trunk that I'm sure a lot of people are like, I don't think so, but it's sort of like, we want to deliver software as quickly as possible. Uh, we should, uh, we should be reflective about what was happening, uh, and since we're delivering everything over the internet, we're going to have to change the way we do software because you can't just like throw it over the wall. Now I'm like comically simplifying it, but I don't know if I've really gotten in a conversation with anyone who's like, I don't want to do things that way. More of what they right. say is but it's impossible for offer, me to like, do things here, that you know, way. You know, I want to throw out this definition and I want to see if Matt Ray, I want to see if you guys disagree with this definition. Like, this is when you go to a customer that's getting around either DevOps or Agile. You can, they will, you can really define it this way. Mm. The customer wants to be able to, to do this. We want to do everything kind of exactly how we're doing it today and just get our management off our backs. Like that's when they <laughs> say that, that is most of the time what, what they really want. Now, right. So like I, you have to like originally, you have to start right there. Right. Because they're going to go through it and they're going to be like, yeah, we're going to do that. But, we have, but we're a little unique in this one place, so we're not really going to do it, right? So you have to first kind of go through that cathartic, like, okay, guys, like, yeah, this is going to require a change. That actually requires a couple of meetings right there. Then yeah. you maybe get to the next phase of like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Like, we, we did kind of understand what you said before, but now we're actually going to consider something that we think – we thought was crazy, like checking in the trunk or not yeah, having I mean, a really long road map. I cannot tell you how many agile meetings after, the, as soon as the training is over, right? Like the day it's over the next thing, like the next day, someone's like, you know what we need? We need a six month roadmap knowing exactly where we're going. I, I have seen this multiple times. <laughs> and you're just like, wait a minute. We just talked about yesterday. Yeah, and, you know, but, it, it takes a long time for people to really internalize these concepts. I, I think it's, it's, it's like, it's like Obamacare. Right. Um, everybody's like, yeah, I want pre-existing healthcare health issues to be covered. Yeah. I'd like for my college students to get a little bit of extra time and everyone likes pieces of it. And, and everyone will say like, oh yeah, you know, I want, I, I don't want my insurance carrier to be able to drop me. And, and, you know, you get all these things that have like 80% approval. And then people are like, and when we put all those things together, it gets 55% approval. And you're like, wait, wait, the sum is worse than the, the parts. You know, people won't, they, they, they're like, well, I don't want that part. You know, I don't want, I don't want the whole thing. I only want the parts I like. And, 
you know, you could try to pick and choose, uh, but most people, that's all they want. All they want is to pick and choose. They don't, they, they come up with excuses for why they don't want to do the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, or they're I, like, sorry, you know, yeah, we'd like to go faster, but we're not going to. Yeah, I, and, but and we're, you know, we're special. And and you know, I, I'm 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 realizing that uh, that me and Brandon, I don't know which one is which, but we're basically like the Statler and Waldorf to your Kermit the Frog, Matt Ray. Like we're just over here taking wait, pot wait, shots. Wait, 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 wait. Like you're very optimistic arms... to keep the show running. No. Oh. Would you rather be Gonzo? <laughs> which you can pick your own. Uh, more more of a fo- more of a fuzzy bear, I think. Oh oh, good choice. <laughs> good oh, choice. That's a good one. Okay. But more importantly, because I still want to hear how you judge this thing and what you chose no. as a winner. Well, that's what, gonna really yes. think about you. Well, well, who won the DevOps? Th- this well well, I think I think uh, the, one of the applications they were actually doing very well, and I mean they they seemed overall healthy. Now the advantage they had is they were only. Um, three years old versus a 15 year old application and, and another one. But, but you know, all of, all of the things that we were judging, they were actually, I would say they were all following uh, orthodox DevOps principles. So it was actually pretty hard to judge them, especially if you handicap things like this is a very old application versus a brand new one and so forth and so on. They were doing great, which, which made judging difficult. This is one tip I would say, if you're going to have external people judge something, uh, in a short amount of time, make it as subjective as possible. Because if you evaluate based on strict criteria, by the time your judging panel sees the the contenders, they're all going to be just as good as each other. So that's where you need subjectivity to come in and uh, judgment. That's that's now, what these, I think. Like internal applications they were building, or were these applications they were trying to sell in some way? Uh, they or? they were they were in house applications that were used to run their business with their external customers. If, if that Got makes it. sense. So, but, but I, I, I want to get, I didn't in, intend to uh, 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 talk about the definition of DevOps, but I, I, I want to run this especially by Matt Ray, because here, I, I think, I think a couple of other meetings I've had uh, have crystallized something in my mind. I don't know what the hell that means, crystallized, uh, but uh, which is essentially like, I think there are currently three ways of thinking about DevOps. One is just like nonsense. People don't know what they're talking about. It's like when people would talk about cloud in 2009. It's just like, whatever, just fuck that, right? <laughs> uh, and the second one is, I would call it the genuine definition of DevOps, which as, as someone was pointing to me out recently, remember, there's dev in DevOps, right which is like there has to be some software involved that you're you have developers writing the software and delivering it right like it's it's very like there is custom written software in devops and that's why i think a lot of the uh stuff uh that you see in in devops comes into play like feedback cycles and continuous integration like all this stuff that is basically again to grossly oversimplify it. I'm I'm well aware of all the intellectual toes of people who get like really upset about things that I'm stepping on here. So please send all your email to no one, Dev Null. Uh, but <laughs> or 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 Matt, he'll take him. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I'll, I'll read it on the air. Yeah, that that would be fun. Actually, we should have we should have a uh, episode of hate. Sadly, no one even writes us in that much. We have like one negative comment, and that's all. So, uh, anyhow, uh, I, I've stopped eating on the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish you would do it more, Matt Ray. I want to know, especially if it's one of those democracy sausages. Uh, but, but so we got that definition. Now, the other definition, which I, I, I have an almost confirmed theory that I think this is where a lot of confusion comes from, is people don't realize what the dev part means. 
Like they only focus on the ops part and they're thinking like, how, how would I trans, transmutate? Is that a word? ITEL and ITSM service management into a DevOps world. And this mm-hmm. one, that miscategorization is uh, interesting. For someone like yourself in Chefland, not a problem. Uh, you know, obviously for Pivotal, it's a sort of a problem because we don't care about that. Um, but it, it is also, it does also point out an interesting thing like, well, what is the, what is the ops ops of the DevOps era? Like, how do you, other than the flippant answer I would give is like, have you heard of SaaS? Right. But like there, there must be some sort of like, we, we can't leave our non-custom development ops people out there in the cold, or maybe we can, but it, like, I don't know what, how they're evolving. Like all the focus is just on uh, DevOps stuff, but not managing like, you know, your exchange server or like your SAP install or your desktop management. Like may, may we have ITEL three beats me. True. That's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, you just came back from a two week trip. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me let me ask it this way, Matt Ray. When you anecdotally think about the business that that you see of Chef, how much would you say is like around software development versus service delivery? And service delivery, I mean, there's no developers involved. It's just like right, here's some right. infrastructure we have to get up and running. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. So, so we we tend to see more of the the ops side of things than. Uh, Development um, ops is usually in worse shape, uh, or you know they've been they've been playing catch up for longer. You know they the DevOps uh, the, uh, the the developers had a little more time to to get their act together, um, and so you know they they had agile first, and and so they they've um, you know they, they get to play around with their their different libraries and tools and and switch out things and. You know, ops is always kind of catching up with whatever is coming down the pipe from, from you know, whatever's rolling down the hill from the developers. And so what they're trying to do is get developers to give more of a heads up to ops. You know, and meanwhile, ops has all this legacy infrastructure that they're maintaining. They're, you know, patching SQL Server. So it, it, they, they're kind of split brain between, you know, keeping development happy and keeping the show running. Um and, and you know, so I think DevOps is, is. I would I would probably agree that it's more. Um, we see more of the ops side. You know, people that you know, we need to consolidate how we think about all these different platforms. What is the you know what is how do we build a roadmap to bring this legacy infrastructure into the cloud? How do we think about containers and you know in two years or whatever? And so we spend a lot of time setting a roadmap for the CIO. Mm. Yeah, or 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 the CTO and and you know and a lot of that is getting ops out of the you know I babysit servers mindset and getting developers to you know spend some time thinking about you know the people who have to deal with the software they write so which means we usually don't spend a lot of time with developers initially initially it's usually the the ops and you know directors of it and that sort of folks who need more um they need a, a plan you know and and then when you give them a plan and, and it's kind of like and the dev guys go here can we talk to them now please yeah you know and, and so and, and usually to talk to them now please means you're going up the org chart to get somebody who will make them come and listen yes yes yeah so 
Uh, so, I, I like to think of this as like one way I think of just the evolution of all of this is to think, you know, agile. So it's almost like the wedge that started all of this, right? Like in agile, I think for the most part is something that kind of lives or sat inside of engineering and development, right? It was sort of like, Hey, and the response was like, Hey, all the requirements keep changing. We don't know what to build. And then it's never on time. So like agile sort of like was brought in through that funnel. Right. And then I think DevOps is sort of like now, is the attempt to like, hey, we're trying to be more agile. We need you operations to kind of start to to be that same way. And that's sort of what a DevOps movement. And then on the front end, right, like where are the requirements coming from and what are we building? I think you're seeing the emergence of like design thinking, right? Like that sort of is the front end of like, well, how do we get smarter about what it is we want to build um, before we even ask engineering or development to do anything or create any of this backlog? So yeah. it makes sense to me that like, Agile is sort of the most mature, and you can almost argue the most diluted of all of them. But, you know, on either side of this, like the front end and back end are slowly developing their own process to kind of like, you know, interact with this more dynamic group, right? And then you have even beyond that, you have like sales and finance, where I don't think it's even gotten to, right? Like sales, I haven't heard anything about like agile sales forecasting, right? Everywhere <laughs> I've been, it's, you know, you have to do your quarterly forecast and, you know, finance is still budgeting mostly on a quarterly yeah. annual level. But you could make the argument that there will be some version of design thinking, DevOps, agile for a salesperson and a finance person in five years. I don't what? know what it is, yeah. but it could be out there. Well, now it's... And, so I have a question for you, Brian, but first of all, I mean, you know, just ritualistically, I'm sure salespeople are trying to spend all their time trying to figure out how to make some fucking sense out of Salesforce. Like that's probably, they're probably too consumed with that, you know, instead of just selling, that's probably what they do. But like, so, so in your role, Brandon, like I'd ask the same question of you, right? Like you're being in the identity space, like you're commonly like one of these points that's in the center of everything. So like you would potentially see all sides of this, but like, like when people are doing their identity management stuff, like do they even talk about DevOps or are they just like, we just moved to ITEL three? Like, like what, like what are those people doing or, or are they doing anything new? It's just the same old stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think there, I mean, that discipline, you know, if you want to think of like security and, you know, within that is security is a big thing, right? But within that is also the notion of identity and access management, which are kind of components of it. Like, you do, you know, again, those are kind of like, like I said, on the sales side of it, like if you want to think about like sales being on this other one um, pole and on the other pole, you know, even outside of operations, it's a security group. And the security group, you know, is trying to figure out like, wait a minute, like what do we even do, right? Like now we have this operations group doing all the stuff fast to keep things up. And, but they are, they're operating under a totally different mindset of like, yeah, go slower. We have to like, you know, double check everything and certify everything so i think you know whether it's any access management or security in general right they are trying to inject themselves and figure out how do we you know even work within this group and sometimes you hear like sec ops like every once in a while people just you know i think this is how this stuff people kind of steal like the the without their own name right like you know before agile like there was this agile ops or something right then somebody kind of came up with devops nice brand for it and i think somewhat at some point security will have to come up with its own thing but most of the time, like, they're just trying to go back and be like, man, I wish these, these people that are you know, deploying all this would include our requirements in their releases, right? But they don't really yeah. have, they often don't have a seat at the table to demand that, right? Yeah. So they're going back after the fact and saying, okay, 
I'm glad that you built a new application. I'm glad that you know you've got like lots of new users registering them, but I actually need you to um, store them in this directory, and then I need you to do like store the data this way. Um, and you know these DevOps groups are like you know you know put it in the backlog and you know go get it in there, and you know they're like well who, who owns the backlog? You know, and it starts a whole another cycle of like how do we interface yeah. with this team? So there, that's why. Security is often, you know, obviously, like we just saw Yahoo again for Yahoo, right? Another billion passwords out there, accounts out there. And it's like, you know, that's why they're just sort of struggling, right? They just don't even know how to get involved and engaged in a meaningful way. And that, that'll change, right? It does, it's changing already, but it's, you know, it certainly isn't um, something that's done well, right? I don't, think, I don't think I've seen any group that's really doing it well. Yeah, yeah. so, so, so I, I, go ahead, Matt Ray. Well, I was just going to say there's... Um, the the inclusion of the rest of the org chart and and you know the DevOps is you know people are like well you know don't forget about security you know secure DevOps or DevSecOps and you know don't forget about you know business and sales and legal um, DevOps is it's a constantly evolving thing and it, it you know I think that the key is is the you know the continuous improvement and, and there was a a talk from um, Adam Jacob, the the chef CTO uh, at, at ChefConf called DevOps Kung Fu, where he brought he talked about bringing you know legal and sales and all these other people into you know your vision of DevOps and and how it's going to be completely disparate from org chart to or, you know from organization to organization, but you know it when you see it, and that's it's fuzzy. That's the problem with DevOps is you know you can't just put your finger on it and say yep we bought one of those. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and looping back, I think, you know, like I said, development's had the advantage. Um, and I think ops has been on, you know, shifting sands and watch the segue. Amazon just made things worse. <laughs> if you're like, you know, the, the ops guys, they're not keeping up and we're, you know, we're having a, a hard time, you know, getting what we need and it's hard to hire these smart people. Well, um, Amazon just got into the game with their their new managed services. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's part of what's like evoked this line of questioning in my head. I mean, and before we fully move to that, I mean, I think, I think, I think the ongoing thought exercise is like, uh, if there is no dev and DevOps, what does that mean? Ops does right, or or like, how should they operate? And then, and then if, because in theory, like, if it, in this situation, ops could follow all the same principles and stuff that dev does. But that's probably not accurate. Like, like if I'm if I'm upgrading my SAP install, one, I should probably find a new job because that sounds awful. But two, <laughs> like, does that mean I'm going to check everything? And what does it mean to check everything into trunk? Right. Like, like I mean, there's all of these things of like if 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 I'm dealing with you know off the shelf or as I like to say, caught software, uh, or if I'm totally disconnected. I mean, if there are no developers, what what's the state of the art there? So, anyways, but yes, your uh, the AWS managed thing. I mean, it, that's also another good reply. It's it's very related to this conversation I have every now and then, where there's this confusion about like you're actually just talking about ops, not DevOps, and that is, um, it's. I mean, only having read our Hawaiian shirted friends write up of it, like it's basically just like, oh look, it's it's ITSM. It's basically there's a ticketing desk and you request things. Know it. And and they uh, they manage it for you. There's actual people involved, which which seems exciting. 
I, I guess there's the, actual people and actual margins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or as 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 someone pointed out in one of the articles, it's like, oh, it's the Rackspace killer. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Amazon um, waited till till all their partners had gone home from from reInvent to announce that they're uh, launching something that had been rumored for a while. They're Amazon managed services. They're targeting the Fortune thousand, Global two thousand. Uh, so they just manage your IT infrastructure for you and, you know, they do, uh, they do the DevOps so you don't have to. Yeah, I, I had to, uh, I just, just to kind of like briefly go over the, the news since we nominally cover news. Like I had to read this post like two times because like, I was like, surely they don't just mean managed service provider. And then I read it a second time and I was like, yep, they just mean managed service provider. <laughs> and, but I, I, I guess I'm, I'm assuming and, and, and tell me, tell me, uh, if there's any input on this, but I'm assuming there is the, the somewhat limited set uh, in relative to, to infinity of configurations. There's a limited set of stuff you can get. Like it only manages obviously AWS stuff. And, and, and then, and then the second thing I didn't quite understand from that post, like, I think the immediate rack space defense would be like, well, we'll manage up the stack, right? Like, we'll actually, like, we'll actually go into your black box. So we'll manage our black box at the cloud, the infrastructure layer, and we'll also manage your black box, which is the stuff that you install on there. So that's, that's always like sort of an out of contract implicit thing that Rackspace will say they'll do for you. But I don't get the sense that the Amazon people will like manage your application for you, which is probably okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Rackspace's pitch will continue to be the fanatical service. Mm -hmm. And 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 like you said, going up the stack and in the stack, and you know everything I've ever seen from you know their support organization has always been you know stellar. Like they they actually have really good people who you know do a good job, and you pay a premium for it. And you know maybe Amazon, I, I I'm not going to disparage Amazon, but when you you know double your company in two years, you're pro probably not hiring the cream of the crop at all times. Um, and, and so. It could be, you know, that Amazon is, is a, you know, a low cost offering and, you know, you get what you pay for sometimes. Um, but if you are all in on AWS and you fit a cookie cutter approach to, you know, a lot of this IT infrastructure, do you need white glove service? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think I think I. I, I don't know anything about the retail sector, so allow me to, to, to wax on about it. But like, it seems like a core principle in any retail business uh, at scale is you build a process that doesn't require a cream of the crop to be profitable, right? So you've got high, you've got high churn rate of employees in a retail environment. You're selling commodity goods. You have, you probably have more or less good customer loyalty, but like, um, I don't know. I always think uh, maybe loyalty to like HEB is an anomaly versus like other parts yeah, of the but country. I, so I'm going to push back on that though, because because I think there's been a, a reaction to outsourcing everything. You know, yeah, we yeah, we yeah. saw a lot of companies that try to outsource all their IT, all their development, and they're left being, being you know uh, a vendor of a commodity product who's commoditized you know their operations and, and IT and development and so now they can't react quickly because they don't have people who are incented to help them move faster and so you started to see more insourcing of of ops and 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 dev as people realize like actually the only competitive advantage we have is that 
And so, you know, you could still use a managed service, but you're going to need someone to keep really close tabs on them if you think they're going to move faster than, you know, your own staff. Certainly. Um, so, so I think, I, I mean, the thing I was angling towards was more, not so much that the 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 people that you have in place aren't uh, creamy, but more that you need less people because the thing that you're you're providing, the service, just needs less people. And it seems like, I mean, the definition of a managed service thing is the managed part. And it seems like the reason you need the managed part is because of the high amount of variability in the infrastructure that you're managing, right? It's just like every single company on like a five to 10 year like outsourcing contract has a bunch of wacky, unique IT, right? And like, we, we all kind of encounter these people when they're like, I want to use Pivotal Cloud Foundry or Chef for some new wacky identity thing. And they're like, here's the 50 reasons why we can't do it, right? Because they've got this old IT that, that, <laughs> that like that they can't move over. Whereas that's kind of like what, what I was thinking about it when I was reading this is like, I'm assuming that the, the services AWS is providing is just off the shelf AWS stuff which yeah. needs a minimum amount of management. So there will be a lot of conversations that are like, nope, you can't do that, <laughs> right? Like you cannot add something to the dropdown list of services to spin up. It's just like, we just had this other thing, which which I don't know. I mean, I, I've only read a blog post, so I'm an expert already. But uh, I read two. <laughs> see, you're, this is why you get paid the big bucks. But it, it, but it, it also seems like, it's it's going back to the uh, what is ops without dev or, you know, DevOps without the dev. Like, I, I feel like a lot of these conversations I've had is basically like operations people saying we were asked to optimize the way we run IT without really any knowledge of what we're actually doing for or with it. Right. Like we just need to lower cost and give ourselves this notion that we'll have ultimate agility in the future if we need it. And. It comes back to something that we were talking about last episode is like, so why isn't everyone just moving all their stuff to AWS? And I mean, there's all sorts of technical reasons, but like the way that blog post reads is basically like, hey, we'll run all that for you. No problem. Yeah. And and yeah. and more importantly, the main difference being like we have some people that will like kind of help silly putty and, and rubber cement in like the differences and, and the cracks that emerge. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think. Um, I mean, you're if if you can black box that part of your of your infrastructure, if if you can say like you know those guys are that is known legacy stuff, you know to bring up the the Wardley maps, you know if that is uh, completely commoditized, that's where I would look to use that sort of service, and you know it's kind of like your office you know, your office 365, you know, it's like, I don't need to invest in exchange and, and word anymore. You know, I don't want to, it's much cheaper to let, you know, somebody else deal with that. But when you get into, you, you know, you have to be very careful when it comes to understanding that you're on this path to become a software business. And if you outsource this part, it could slow you down depending on what you've handed them. Um, that, that's my only fear is, you know, trying, you know, companies that if they think they're going to use savings to get ahead, they're probably not. Yeah. You know, because a lot of, yeah. a lot of our, you know, a lot of the, you know, the people we like to talk about as our customers are the ones who have made that transition from, they recognize that IT is not a cost center. It's, it's a position of strength because, you know, they are in a commodity business. They're an airline who competes 
on the same routes with the same planes with the same fuel as all their competition how do you compete with that mm. you know you have to you have to move faster and provide you know well you provide better customer service well how do you do that you deliver faster it's all about delivery and if you are waiting on you know some guys who are doing ITSM3 and give you a guaranteed 48 hour turnaround on new VMs that's still kind of slow yeah 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 no and and that's that's the so, uh, I, I don't that, know that that's that's the funnel to profits that I always lay out when people don't want to have the dev and ops right it's just like well, let's go through this. Let's go through this uh, funneling of like the only thing that matters is custom done IT, which is custom software development, because everyone else is on the same pass with the same gas, as you say. So, like, you know, you're not you're not going to differentiate on uh, how well you can schedule meetings, essentially. Yeah, yeah. But you know, um, Amazon launched this. I'm I'm sure it'll. I'm you knowing Amazon, they've probably already got ten thousand customers on it. Uh, but you know, the other folks aren't, aren't completely, uh, you know, shutting down their efforts. Uh, the Monday morning after reInvent, I got a, a big email from Microsoft with a dozen announcements in it. Like, oh yeah, we, we did some stuff too. Um, so they, a lot of it was, you know, Hey, they announced that we announced this, you know, um, you know, GPUs and, and Hannah, you know, your, your SAP all up in the cloud. Um, some media services stuff that I hadn't seen on AWS. Uh, just, you know, they're, they're still coming. Microsoft isn't giving up. So, uh, but some people have, it's the API economy for mashups. It's, it's finally <laughs> happening. Yes. That's something right. like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the feature equivalence is there for, for the other clouds. Uh, I haven't seen Microsoft do a, a managed cloud service yet. Um, that I, I don't see them going down that path. You know, they've always been very partner first. Um, and is this just the case? Kind of sort of ongoing discussion. Like, you know, your strength is your weakness of your Amazon. Like, I assume they did this because I think I simplified so much of it down to just, hey, there's a lot of people that want to just call us and want help, right? Yeah. I'm sure that's kind of the problem they're getting. So it's like, yeah, why don't we do this? And that makes. Like when you're building the Amazon uh, business case and you're writing a six-page Amazon memo, right? I'm sure that's has a lot of that in there and makes total sense. And they're like, yeah, we need to help people do it. But again, like this is sort of like, is this a bridge to them? Do they even care? Or is it because like, you know, at the end of this, they want to have the agenda of the really profitable high margin service. So is this just in their mind the necessary step? Kind of like, you know, all this, these, uh, what do we call the storage things, right? That, you know, hey, first we got to get everyone to get their storage stuff in, or all their data in here. We'll make that easy. And the view is that eventually it's all inside or is it just, no, no, no. This is just more acknowledgement of like, hey, the market's always going to need people that are just willing to take phone calls, right? Because it's always going to be complicated. I think that's kind of the interesting thing to unpack there. Like, do they have a vision or they're just kind of doing, responding to market needs? Because that will be either their greatest strength or their greatest weakness. Because at some point, maybe this bogs them down just like it bogs down other activities. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think... Um, <sighs> yeah, I kind of get the impression that Amazon's like, there's money there, we can take it. You know, they don't... I don't know, I just don't get the feeling like they're like, well, this is going to work, you know, this is going to bother all of our partners and in four years, it's going to be a problem. I think they're kind of like, you know what, we can take all this too. So I think that's like the greatest, I mean, to me, the greatest thing in business is like being a good judge of that, right? Because it's like, makes total sense. And you always do need to be biased. Like, well, let's respond to the market. Let's take the money that's on the table. 100%. 
But there is a point, right, where the real growth comes with like choice, right? And I, as we talked about last week, with so many APIs, so many service offerings, so many different ways to do it, they're definitely going to suck up all the money that's available now. But that definitely could become the real weakness in five years of Amazon, right? Right? Because right now they seem like they can do no wrong. It's hard to see mm-hmm. them, in, you know, ever, you know, being displaced. But all of this work they're doing right now, I think, is the open. It's sowing the seeds, right, for the opening of other services down the road. Now, you know, the retail strategy, and again, if you want to know what Amazon's going to do, just read the book, you know, the everything <laughs> store, because they basically, you know, it outlines the strategy over and over. Like, it seems to work great in retail, right? I mean, there's, I don't even, it's hard for me even to go 15 years in my mind to like, how is it, how is Amazon displaced, right, in retail, right? Because it's like, yeah, they're just going to like, I mean, there's just no amount, there's like almost nothing I don't personally want to buy on Amazon, right? You know, it's just like, yeah, just keep adding stuff. So, but there is a point where maybe that that strategy in, will work so great in retail that it blinds them to something like you know AWS or something else that they're doing. Um, but yeah. again, you know, a lot of halo effect going there, right? They can do no wrong. Who who would walk into Jeff Bezos' office today and tell him like, you know, you don't really know what you're doing. You know, you haven't <laughs> really you don't really understand this market and be yeah. legitimate, right? I mean, he would just immediately decapitate you and you know, well, he, throw he'd you ask for your memo. Out. Yeah, I mean, after you gave him the memo, he just cut your head off and you know yell at you yeah. and then just leave. So I mean, you know that the halo effect was written about Cisco and uh, Cisco just shut down their billion dollar bet. They did. That was that. That seemed expensive. I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. You, you know, I, I think we all learned a valuable lesson: never say you're spending a billion dollars on anything. <laughs> I didn't think of that, but that's a good <laughs> point. When you write the press release, you're like, this is going to totally legitimize us. And you don't think like five years, oof, we're going to take some bad investor calls on this. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you ever understand what all that was, Matt Ray? Didn't, I'm sure at some point you had to sit down and like figure that out, right? Yeah. So, so Cisco had this vision of multi of a federated private cloud that could federate with public clouds and everyone would be using OpenStack. And, um, or I think it was primarily OpenStack. And so Cisco, they bought MetaCloud um, and they had their own private cloud product before that. And they also sell Red Hat's OpenStack. And so they were trying to get, you know, this federation of different providers so you could, you know, move from cloud to cloud with a shared API with a marketplace of images between them. And, you know, I'd never heard of it except for, you know, it, it was something that came up in press releases and, you know, some marketing talk, but I don't really know. I mean, I, you know, I know people who use Cisco for their private clouds, but I never heard of anybody using the federated cloud stuff. Mm, and yeah. so I, I have no idea if it, you know, if it was as successful as vCloud Air or, um, or not. Yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think it's in the. Uh, I think I, I think that along with many other things are in the the bucket of like uh, good paper cloud strategies. They look good on paper, but they don't really like pan yeah. out too well. I I think uh, it's too bad. Well, so it goes. <laughs> well, before we before we get to this week's container news, we we got okay. we got to we, we got to talk about containers. But I just have two little mid roll things. One, I will be uh, I'm going to be in Phoenix on January 10th. That's in the future, in the year 2017, at the, uh, I think, the local cloud foundry meetup, probably just giving my usual talk, which is wonderful. 
and will be evolved. But you come January 10th, and I think there'll be free parking, is what I read. So if you're worried about parking in downtown Phoenix, not a problem. They will validate parking. Maybe even I'll get the stamp and offer that up for you. <laughs> also, I wanted to put in a little plug for one of the the, the most recent episode of my uh, Pivotal Conversations podcast. I, I mentioned this last week, but we did we did a recording with uh, with Tony from Home Depot, and he talks about like the first year of uh, using Pivotal Cloud Foundry and doing things in a pivotal way, and how they went from basically zero applications to around 150 applications running in production for like real actual things like renting Pro Tools and mixing your paint, supply chain, and all their like you know many applications that run their business. So it's a uh, it's another good example of like pivotal customers doing real things in production for a long time and you know paying us for it that that novel part of a business. So it's it's uh if you go over to soundcloud.com/pivotalconversations you can uh, listen to it there or just subscribe to the podcast. We have a lot of stuff like that. So this this week lots of container news. Looks like Docker announced mm. some container D thing now. Now Matt Ray, I hope you realize as the Fonzie of the, not Fonzie, Fozzie Bear of this show. <laughs> you have to explain exactly what this container D thing is. It's it, it's it's. It hey, looks, <laughs> do you need your little uh, rubber uh, wait, I mean, horn? I, I mean, I mean, waka waka. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, but yeah, like it, it's uh, I, I saw a diagram, and and the container D looks like it rests underneath a bunch of stuff that uses Docker. That's that's what I've gathered so far, and they're gonna sometime next year they're gonna commit it to some foundation as open source. Yes, yeah. So so uh, Docker announced that they are um, standard at release. Uh, yeah, releasing to some foundation. I guess probably the uh, the whoever does the you know they standardized Run C the the container runtime the the Docker. You know the container API and, uh-huh. and runtime, um, and now they've open sourced or was well, already open sourced, but they've you know said that they're standardizing the, the Docker engine as the the container runtime. So the runtime is the is like the equivalent of like a hypervisor on the machine. You know, I mean, it's not a hypervisor, but it's the thing that runs your containers, and it's on a single machine. So they're continuing to standardized the bottom of the stack you know so they've standardized the container now they're standardizing the container runtime um and then everything above that is where you know where they fight it out with with kubernetes and and mesos and um and nomad and swarm and you know everything else um and so by by standardizing this you know people who embed docker uh and their offerings can now you know they can change out that engine. You know they can change out the container D for their own implementation, but still maintain compatibility. Uh, so that that's cool. Um, you know, and, and this kind of diverts the arguments for the forking that has been you know swarming around this this little uh, ecosystem for a while. And, and you know, I I think uh, everyone's happy to see it. You know, because um, it's it's not not the place where a lot of differentiation happens for a business you know you don't differentiate on like oh yeah you know our container engine is better than their container engine you know that doesn't affect you know how you get paint into stores um and so i I think it's a good thing um and then uh, they also acquired a distributed storage startup 
um, that uh, was doing block object and file storage for, for Docker. Um, and they said they're going to open source that. And this ties into the, you know, how you do stateful applications with Docker. You have to, you know, the, the dirty secret about, um, you know, about uh, 12 factor apps and immutable infrastructures, there's always data and the data needs to have state and it has to be stored somewhere. And so, you know, this is them doing the, the persistent storage. They'll open, you know, their, this makes their platform, you know, more compelling, even, even though it'll be open source, I'm sure it'll still be, you know, well, well tied into, you know, their, uh, container as a service and, and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, you know, they're continuing to move up the stack and fill out their platform and, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was there was some good <laughs> updates. You know, I, I think I think uh, this might have even been 2014, our favorite uh, Docker strategy slide, which kind of when they were first, uh, you know, becoming a big deal, they, they had this slide with the smart art of the arrow going up and to the right. And it kind of staged out the functionality they work on. And I haven't paid that close attention since then, but they have a new strategy slide. There's two of them. They have one that shows like what Docker is really good at. It kind of lists, I guess it's actually just one of them, but it lists all the, uh, the functionality that they have and where it belongs in the stack. And there's another diagram that shows the kind of ecosystem that runs on top of Docker, including like Cloud Foundry stuff and, and Kubernetes and all that. So like there's, there's a good, uh, there's a good view of like, like Docker's idea of, of what their business is and, and why you would commercially get, uh, involved with them. And, uh, you know, Stuff like that. So you also collected together some good uh, surveys from uh, Datadog about sort of usage. Yeah. And there's also a Redmonk. They Redmonk did their own survey about uh, uh, uses of containers and yeah, and, and it was also good because it had like perceptions across different roles of what your favorite orchestrator was and things like that, and uh, and also some some CI tool usage. It looks like Jenkins very popular. Everyone loves that. Yeah. Everyone loves the Jenkins. That that is the winner. Well, I'll I'll put links to all of this uh, extra container stuff. I think it took me several hours to read through all of this, Matt Ray. It, it was very entertaining, and uh, as always, yeah. as always, I had to convert your naked URLs into properly marked up URLs to post oh, them, which is fine. That's just that's sort of like you know I'm like the person the rolls come out and I put the at least you're not bitter about it. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm dressing them with extra love. That's what I'm doing. Well, and, and but things did get much clearer in the the whole container ecosystem mm. um, because now we finally know what container Linux is. No, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think Brandon had a good uh, comment on that one. You know, yeah, that, no, it just you know, when, when in need of a higher evaluation for your next round of funding, just just rename your thing to container something. So I just mm-hmm. thought that was just like okay, we'll call it container Linux. Like that's really going to help. That really helps everyone. Uh, so yeah. just just marketing gone wrong. And then I think somehow in like the blog post they were talking about the pitch was around like self driving containers. I was just like, oh my god, like what has happened here? Like it's just somehow the the marketing people, something's gone off the rail. Like people are just grabbing too many buzzwords, had too many beers, and just everything's. Well, out. yeah, I, I mean, CoreOS. So if you if you haven't pre-read the show notes, um, CoreOS announced. Uh, you know, they had a bunch of announcements, um, and one of them was the CoreOS Linux that they ship. They're just renaming it to Container Linux. So you know, there's uh, that's the standard now, I guess, because they named it that. Um, and then they also 
they announced that uh, they are shipping Kubernetes in a self-upgrading platform. You know, which is that's how CoreOS Linux has worked, and so now they're trying to do self-upgrading Kubernetes on top of it, uh, and that's what their Tectonic product is. You know, a, a nice business-friendly interface to <clears throat> to uh, Kubernetes with you know self-upgrading layer underneath it, and uh, they they've gone freemium, so it's now um, ten nodes are free, so uh, you know. Uh, Everyone's got to tinker with the business model, um, but it, you know that's what it's about. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. Says the guy wearing the CoreOS shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I, I like it. We'll see how the world. Well, it does. I don't know. If we're going to do predictions at some point. Maybe we should do predictions. You know, next in twenty seventeen. Yeah, maybe next week. Yeah. I was going to say my uh, my one thing about going into it is like, well, it feels like you know Docker obviously is the container of choice. This whole Docker rocket thing is now in the past. I believe. And then yeah, Kubernetes seems like it's it's gonna like now what company wins and like it takes advantage. I don't know. Kubernetes seems to have all the container orchestration momentum. Like as we go into twenty seventeen, it's like it's their uh, it's their uh, fight to lose. I guess you know it seems like everybody is just like you know on that. And that's I don't know. I feel like when I read stuff, it's like ten to one between that. When I hear Kubernetes or anything else. Well, hopefully next week we can get it in our schedule and we'll do uh, wacky predictions. I don't think we'll have right. uh, I don't think we'll have our returning people because I don't know if I have their email address anymore. But this, so <laughs> what's what's your recommendations for this week, Matt? Ray? I know you have a hard stop. Oh yeah. Um, so there was uh, at the I think it's called the XOXO conference. Maybe um, there was a, a a very entertaining talk from from Jen Schiffer, uh, who. She's a JavaScript, um, well, she's a front-end developer, and uh, <laughs> she's been trolling, uh, she's been writing articles about, you know, how uh, Node.js is the new JavaScript, and similar things, and, you know, just kind of trolling the industry, and talks about, um, they, you know, it's funny, but also how sad, you know, the software industry is as a whole. Uh, but very entertaining talk. Um, definitely, definitely recommend that. So that's that's my pick for the week. In video format, as I can see. Yeah, in video I'll, format. I'll have to check yeah. that out. Well, how about yourself, Brandon? What do, you, what do you recommend people doing while they're waiting for our mythical 2017 predictions? Well, I'm also going to go with uh, the talk track uh, out there. Like, I, uh, I like Benedict Evans. He's one of the people over at Andreessen Horowitz that covers one of the analysts. I don't even, that's a great title, but he does occasionally write really good blog posts, but he did his, he updated his uh, mobile eating the world presentation, which is sort of his take on kind of the state of mobile, which is interesting, but he, he kind of goes further this year and talks a lot about what he thinks uh, machine, where machine learning is going, why that's really important. Uh, he even does uh, mention self-driving cars in a good way in his presentation. So he put all the slides out there, which is obviously good, you know, because we all need more PowerPoint. But he took the time to actually record a nice uh, you know, talk track with it. And uh, he did it so well that I was like, gosh, did, I hope he had an audio editor. He didn't use any crap words. He didn't do like, uh, uh, you know, he's like, wow, it sounds so professional. It's like, did he do all this in one take? Makes makes me really feel bad about my audio skills if he did. But uh, it's really cool and mobile, and then more importantly, some of the things that are you know maybe a couple years out. So definitely check it out. It's worth mm-hmm. your time. Yeah, I, I maybe maybe I won't see it because every time I see a really good analyst thing, it makes me cry a little bit. It'd be like, 
Why, why am I not doing great work like that? It's so sad. But it, it, is, uh, it is easy to confuse like the, uh, the one or two great things you see a year with like, what are they doing the whole rest of the time to be so awesome? That's, that's a little note I should take for myself. Maybe I should do more work instead of just making shit up in real time. That probably would have great <laughs> results. Well, uh, I have a couple of recommendations this week. One, uh, I bought I bought these Senso Bluetooth headphones, which are advertised as the best wireless sports earphone with mic, IPX7, waterproof HD stereo, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I saw that they were on sale. This is one of those MSRP thing that's probably a joke. It says normally $169, but you can get them for $37. And I have a pair, and they're great. They're really good. They're like finally a Bluetooth. They've, they're like those over the, they get those rubber things that go over your ears, like like Beats headphones. So the problem I always have with Bluetooth stuff is they're always like that little chain on your neck's always got some thing on it that's going the wrong way and it feels really awkward. But these are really nice. And also the sound, I don't know what the hell HD sound is, but it's really good. And the uh, the noise canceling stuff is so good that I was sitting out here on the driveway waiting for my wife to drive up so I could hand her a, a sandwich and some clothes because my daughter needed some clothes. And I didn't even realize her car had pulled up. The noise canceling was so good. So I bought an extra pair. They're good headphones. The other thing I was going to recommend is uh, you should get yourself uh, a, a trapper hat. Now, we used some video earlier and people saw this, but it's one of those hats that's got fur and, and it's got ear flaps that you can bring up and down. I'm not sure what you're supposed to do with the big piece of fur in front that would like drop down in front of your face. So that's a mystery. But uh, I have this Dickies one that I have and I think, I think it's a great winter accessory. Or if you're in the summer in Australia, it'll look nice too. But you should definitely get yourself a trapper hat and just wear that. I, th- I think it's a great addition. So. All right. As always, this has been Software Defined Talk. You can find the show notes for this episode with lots of things we didn't get around to talking to at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 83. It'd be great if you went into iTunes and uh, whether you like us or not, you left us a five-star uh, like rating and wrote a very positive review. Maybe if you get yourself a trapper hat, you can take a picture of it and send it to us. I also realize you can send us an email through the page that we have on softwaredefinedtalk.com or talk through us on Twitter or wherever you are. Uh, you know, until we wire up this getting paid to do stuff, the only payment we have is in listening to ourselves talk and, and hearing that you like the show. So with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.